DB Sweeney on the Fishbowl. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for taking the time to swim in the bowl with me. Um, I, I first just wanted to say that uh, I'm a huge, huge fan of your work, and uh, I've, been, I've been following your career for a long, long time. The first question I wanted to ask you is, what got you interested in film? Well, I started out in theater, and I really loved doing plays. I, I, I didn't have any background in it when I was in, you know, I did one play when I was in high school, but everything was about sports for me. And then I got to college, and a uh, bunch of us who were similar acting students couldn't get parts in the plays at New York University, so we decided, well, we'll just do our own little thing here in this uh, abandoned space. 725 Broadway, which is where the, uh, it's now an incredible, beautiful building there. They've raised a lot of money and they raised the tuition. But uh, when we were there, it was kind of dingy and run down. And we took over this little building and made a theater. And we learned how to do the lights and do the sound. And somebody would direct, somebody would act. And, and we'd just put on a play. And we put, we'd set up 60 seats. And sometimes there'd be three of them filled. And sometimes there'd be 11. But, you know, we, we just, the show was about learning and, and trying to figure out what we were doing. And so I was having a great time doing that. And then one night, an, an agent came and sat in one of those three seats that were filled. And uh, I was off and running. So, you know, led to TV and movies and TV commercials and other things. But I had no idea that that was going to happen. Awesome. Um, very, very cool. Um, I actually went to school here and I'm located in Pittsburgh. And uh, I actually went to school for screenwriting at uh, Point Park University. And I won a few film festivals and have a few things published on Amazon. But um, we're here to talk about you. Now... There's no way um, I'll be able to to get to everything on on the list that I, that I have to talk to you about. So I kind of like picked and choose w- which films that I'm I, I thought that I, I really like you in the most, and I figured we could save the rest for you know I could probably do like you know two two more like hour long interviews talking with you about your work. But the, the first movie that I wanted to talk to you about is one of my favorites, and it's a little bit more towards the beginning of your career, and that's No Man's Land. Ah, uh, yes, No Man's Land. That was a, that was a great experience. Uh, Charlie Sheen had just gotten, uh, Platoon hadn't even come out yet, but everybody in Hollywood was like, this thing's going to be a big deal, and this kid's going to be a big star, and they were right. And he, he, uh, So I got to spend time with him right as he was becoming you know, a very famous person. He went from being somebody's kid in Malibu to uh, on the cover of Time magazine, the space about six months. And I was right there along for the ride. So uh, I have some great memories from that time. Awesome. What was it like working with um, the rest of the cast? Uh, Randy Quaid, Bill Duke. Yeah, Bill Duke was great. I mean, I really, really enjoyed being around him. I mean, he's such a pro. And, uh, he wasn't uh, directing yet, I don't think. And uh, But you could tell that he was a guy who was going to be a great director. And, you know, M.M. at Walsh was another one of my heroes that I got to be in scenes with. And Randy Quaid was great. You know, I mean, I know he's kind of had some issues lately, but uh, he, he's a tremendous actor and he was, was a great guy to be around. I learned a lot. Awesome. I, I really like, like, the, the, the gritty, gritty type movies. And you, you've, you've done a lot of those that I'm, I'm a big fan of. Uh, another one that I, I wanted to talk about was Memphis Bell. Yeah, Memphis Bell was a great, great story and a great, you know, that's a part of uh, our World War II history that I think a lot of people at that time and probably, you know, we could use the Memphis Bell now. We just had uh, Midway, which I think was great for a lot of young people to, you know, to see what, to learn a little bit more about World War II through entertainment. And, and Memphis Bell had that same function back in 1990. The Eighth Air Force and, and the daylight bombing campaign that the Allies waged against the Germans was the most dangerous job you could have as an American and pretty much for the British side as well. 
um, the planes were completely vulnerable, and the uh, Allied High Command had decided that the only way that we were going to end the war quickly would be to, to, to destroy Germany's ability to rebuild and, and re-equip. So they sent these planes, which were very slow lumbering planes, but they could bomb very accurately once they got to the target, thanks to the Norton bomb, the Norton bomb site. And, uh, but they were incredibly vulnerable on the way in and on the way out. So the commanders knew there were going to be great losses to doing that, but they decided that it was, you know, an acceptable, acceptable losses to achieve the objective. So it's a great story. I mean, I think 10% of the American casualties in World War II were bomber crews. And most people don't know that. So it's, it's just, you know, D-Day, the story has been told and it should be told. And a lot of other stories have been told. So I, th- I thought it was great that we were telling that story because my uncle had been a navigator on a B-17. So I knew this, I knew the history growing up and, uh, it was, I just thought it was great. It's great to be part of a movie where you feel like you can tell people something that they might not have known about. A- absolutely. My, my, my dad is, is really the one that he, like, he got me pretty much into like everything that I'm into the reason I have such like a strong love for war movies and westerns is is definitely because of him. And there's so many great stories um, and, and and battles uh, to choose from from World War II that make great for storytelling and reinterpretation over the years. And you know, with everything that's going on in the country right now, and you know, besides this whole you know pandemic thing. I think, you know, World War II history is definitely very, very prominent now. Yeah, I think that we got to do a better job of teaching uh, American history. You know, American history is not just about, you know, slavery and the Civil War and, the, you know, various other things that are very popular to teach. I mean, Civil War will never get old. I mean, that's one of the great subjects also. But I, there's a, a version of America that's taught in schools now, which is that, you know, America is not a force for good in the world, which is a travesty. Right, right. I did want to talk about some of your other work. Another another film that I'm a, I'm a big big fan of is Blue Desert. Oh, wow, you're really going back in the archive. <laughs> yeah, actually, m- most of my my list is is more of your your early work. I figured you know we could save like another interview for some other stuff. Like like I said, I'm a big fan of like the the gray stuff. That's like a lot of uh, the inspiration for like my own style of like screenwriting you know to talk to you about some of you know those types of films is you know i'd love to hear about it yeah blue desert was uh, interesting uh i i I was in a period right there where i I run big movies like meant to spell and i think i did uh cutting edge the year after blue desert but uh i was interested in these smaller movies because i felt like you could you could take more chances you could do stories that are not really uh uh you know maybe for a broad audience and so i was learning about how to how to make movies on a on a smaller budget. And I, I was just hired as an actor. I wasn't a producer or a writer or anything on that movie, but I thought it was interesting the way the movie was constructed. It took advantage of, of um, the setting in order to be able to make the movie at that price. And I think a lot of independent movies make the mistake of trying to be bigger than they are. And that movie just, it just works because uh, Courtney Cox is terrific in that part. And then that was sort of one of the last things she did before she went on friends. So it was kind of fun to watch her. Uh, the same as I'd watch Charlie go from being just another guy and Courtney from being just another girl in Hollywood to being, you know, one of the friends. So uh, that's always fun when you get to see somebody go through that experience. A- absolutely. And uh, you, you've actually worked with uh, Craig Sheffer quite a bit. And I- I'm interested, are you, are you guys like, uh, like friends offset? Because um, you've done like quite a few movies together and I'm like a big, big fan of his as well. 
Uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of his too. I haven't seen him in many, many years, but yeah, we did three movies together. I thought he was great in Fire in the Sky, and uh, we did this one. And then my very first movie, well, I have one line in a movie. I don't call it my first movie uh, uh, called Power, but uh, my first movie where I really had a part was Fire with Fire, uh, which while we were making it was called Captive Hearts, and that was uh, Virginia Madsen and John Polito and some just some terrific people in that movie as well, Gene Smart. And uh, I got to be very good friends with Chef. And uh, the director of the movie, Duncan Gibbons, was a great guy. He and I became friends. He was killed in the Malibu fires back in the 90s, which is weird. Only three people died, and he was one of them. So uh, uh, that was a great tragedy. But I, I learned so much on that movie. I was, I was very green. We were up in Vancouver, and you know, I became friends with Virginia. We were friends to this day. And just so many things every day was a learning experience for me. So I, I, it's a very fond memory. Very cool. Very cool. You know, I, 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 it's, I think it's like a perfect segue because there's two movies on the list um, I have that I wanted to talk about specifically because um, to, to me, they're, they're probably like my two top, top favorites with you in it. And that was Fire in the Sky and, and Spawn. But I want to talk about uh, Fire in the Sky first because my, my dad, again, you know, got, got me into everything that I'm into. And that was one of the movies that he actually rented for me from Blockbuster when I was little and showed it to me. And then, of course, it got, you know, played on the movie channels and everything. But he's like a big, big, like, UFO nut, you know, almost to like the conspiracy, you know, theory S type. But, you know, not like a, not like a, you know, tinfoil hat type, you know, but uh, he's very much into like, you know, UFOs and stuff. And I was, I was wondering what was, what was your overall experience on that film? And, you know, especially with like the whole alien sequence. Well, the alien sequence, I, I knew it was going to be good because it was being uh, supervised and created by uh, Industrial Light and Magic. And so even today, they're the state of the art visual effects guys. But at that time, they were doing some incredible stuff that nobody else was doing. Uh, they had just done Terminator 2, and and uh, you know it was it was just amazing to, uh, to to just to see the work that they were doing, and and I was excited to be a part of it. And of course, Robert Patrick was the uh, Liquid Terminator in Terminator 2, and so he was around. He was excited because he knew what they could do, and and uh, I just I, you know I was in a period of my career, the first you know 10 years of my career, I guess so I was just trying to soak up everything I could and learn everything I could about every aspect of it, and I felt like that had a chance to really work. I feel like they made one really big mistake and I told them on the, on the set, they didn't listen to me, but I said, look, you got James Garner. He's a legend. The audience is going to, and, and in the story, he's investigating whether or not the guys, the lumberjacks, myself and Robert Patrick invented this story about my character being abducted by aliens. And the, they show the audience in the beginning of the movie that it happened, you know, objectively that it is an event that happened. And then they spend 40 minutes or, or 50 minutes of the movie with James Garner doubting that it happened. And I said, the audience is going to feel cheated by that. So I just suggested that they put in one, either take out the shot where you see objectively that I'm abducted and make all those shots subjective. In other words, from somebody's point of view, and then just throw in a red herring shot of somebody like Craig Sheffer's character doing something with gas cans or just doing something that might've been a version of something so that the audience is like, Oh, wait a second, maybe this is a hoax. And then at the end of the movie, you find out, no, not only was it not a hoax, watch what happened to this guy on the spaceship. I think had they done that movie would have been a massive hit uh, as opposed to like more of a kind of cult classic. Right. I can definitely see that. 
you know, t- to me, I-, I still love it. You know, yeah, I'm not trying to run it down. I, sh- I probably shouldn't say what I just said. You know, I mean, <laughs> I think a movie is very good as it is. I'm just talking about for it to go into being like a blockbuster where everybody knows the movie. I mean, that one sequence with the aliens is has been widely seen. Everybody knows that, and that's very well regarded. The rest of the movie, though, it's, there's a little bit of it. It just lags in the middle, and that's it's because of that. I think people can't really articulate what it is, but if you have certain characters in a role, and James Garner is a flat-out movie star, and uh, Tom Cruise, for example, flat-out movie star, the audience doesn't want their beloved movie stars to look stupid or to be in a bad situation in a movie that they can't overcome. So you can't let James Garner be wrong as a producer. You know, you can't, unless you're going to let the audience know in the beginning that, oh, he's the bad guy, but he can't be the guy who's wrong or stupid. I, I definitely see what you're saying. I definitely agree. It's still like such, such to me, like such a, I, I guess because like, I always kind of lean more, more towards like the cult classics. The, those are like my, my favorite types of films. It's like the, the cult stuff. It, it, it definitely has that, that memorable, memorable alien sequence. And the fact that, you know, it is based on a true story versus, you know, a movie like War of the Worlds where, you know, Tom Tom Cruise starred in where it was almost to the point like too much of a blockbuster. And the fact that, you know, Fire in the Sky was it's a it's a cult movie, but it's also like a little bit of like along the indie genre as well because you know like the the only major major effects that really you know go into that movie is the whole alien sequence where you know they're they're performing you know the the weird you know surgery on you and everything but you know it's definitely a a character story that you know at least in you know the way i view it it drives the story and there's that that mystery element to it where it's like you know you didn't know it happened but you know you know there's the the build up to you know when when your character finally returns and right i i, I still dig it it's one of my all-time favorite movies as far as like you know uh, thanks alien I should have said anything. A- absolutely and i also want to talk about uh spawn which is again i've always been a huge uh fan of the comics you know, I think uh, Todd McFarlane, you know, is is amazing. I actually uh, am a pretty uh, big action figure collector. So when I was younger, you know, having the Spawn movie come out and, you know, being familiar with the comics and everything and the whole movie maniacs uh, toy line that McFarlane put out, I was always like immediately drawn to his stuff. And when they finally did, you know, the first interpretation of it, which, you know, at the time may have not been you know, regarded, you know, as well as some other comic book movies, I, I thought it was a great uh, action, you know, comic book movie. Um, I love John Leguizamo in it. Uh, I thought Michael Jai White was just nailed Spawn, and your, your character was great in it as well. And I was wondering, um, what was your overall experience on that film? Uh, well, the guy who directed it was uh, Mark DePay, who was uh, one of the people I met at Industrial Light Magic during uh, Fire in the Sky. So, He's just a really creative, interesting dude. And he came to me, he was going to direct his first movie, which is pretty daunting when your first movie is, you know, I think the budget was 40 or $50 million on that movie. And, uh, you know, so adjusted for inflation and everything, that's a, that's like a hundred million dollar movie today. So he, you know, he was a little bit, he wanted to have some allies on the set. So he asked me to come in and play that role. And, and I was really happy to do it. And it was, it was fun. I mean, I, I got to be friends with, uh, 
you know, Michael Jai White and Legazamo and, and uh, I already knew Martin Sheen and I've done a few films together. I just realized when you were asking me about Craig Sheffer, I was trying to think if there was anybody else I've worked with three times. And the answer is Martin Sheen. Uh, we did a movie about Son of Sam, a TV movie where I was very quickly in it. I was just one of the victims of Son of Sam. He and I didn't have a scene together, but I was on the set with him. Um, and then we did uh, Hear No Evil with John C. McGinley, who's a guy I've worked with a couple times. And then uh, a spawn. So it's interesting. I, I, I just occurred to me those are the two I've worked with the most. And th those are actually um, some of the other films I, I wanted to talk to you about. We, we, we could actually uh, go, go straight into that if, if you want, because I, I did have uh, Here No Evil on, on the list. And Martin Sheen has done like a lot of like you know versatile stuff. I I, I love that movie he did uh, where his son directed. It was a crime thriller, Truth or Consequence, New Mexico. And you know I I love how you know he can play like a good you know like cop or a good like like you know strong type villain. I was I was wondering what your overall experience was working uh, on those films. Martin's a great actor, you know, I mean, going right back to Apocalypse Now or, uh, uh, what was it, the, uh, it was, he played a soldier who was uh, executed, executed private Slovak, I think it was called, he was tremendous in that, I mean, he's a great actor, Badlands, you know, he's, he's one of those guys that I looked up to when I was starting out as an actor, so to get a chance to work with him several times, and he's, he's also a very good person, big-hearted guy, and, uh, Got to know the whole family, his wife and uh, obviously Charlie and Emilio and, you know, just, just a good, good family. So, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the good people. Awesome. Let's talk about uh, your new show, Too, Too yeah. Dumb Mix. Yes, sir. That's uh, I, I'm a big fan of the old uh, one reel comedies, which uh, movies, you know, people, everybody's heard the term Nickelodeon. Well, what they used to play at the Nickelodeons was was they called them one reelers and it was usually a comedy or a drama or a train robbery or something but it was it was only 10 or 12 minutes long because that was the the uh, technical extent of what movie cameras and uh projectors could handle so uh so that's that was sort of a forced length on storytelling at that time and because of that I think there was a great efficiency in establishing characters establishing story and getting to the meat of it and it's everything old is new again. And here we are with, uh, you know, with Quibi and with all these other versions, uh, Disney plus all these places are trying to get you to watch content on your phone and, and content on your phone needs to be shorter because, you know, it's a smaller screen and it's not stable, like something projected on a wall or a TV screen. So there's an evolution towards shorter content. I thought, well, that's cool. I'm going to, I'm going to try and go back to the, uh, not, not as early as, as the, the, the silent movies of the one reelers, but the later comedians, uh, Abbott and Costello, um, the, the Three Stooges, Laurel and Hardy. There's a there's an aspect of those uh, of those stories where you know we know who the two main guys are, the two idiots or the two bumbling guys, and what what's going to happen then this time. And that's why I wanted to set up with Two Thumb Mix, and people are really responding to it. I mean we're we're on our way to uh, 200,000 views, and uh, you know I mean, we've passed 100,000, and it's just it's just blowing up. People are loving it, and uh, you know so we're just uh, we're looking forward to creating more episodes. Awesome. And, and uh, where where can uh, everyone view it? Is, is it just on the phone or is there? Oh, it's um, on face. It's on Facebook. You go to facebook.com slash two dumb mix. There's no B in the dumb because they're dumb. And uh, if you or if you just Google two dumb mix, it should come up. But it's right now. It's living on Facebook. That man, I don't know if it's always going to stay there uh, when we start making more episodes. But for right now, that's where it is. And the more views we get, the, the better it is, you know, for our 
growing the series in the future. So uh, we've just been very gratified with how many people have watched it already and uh, um, just excited for the future. Awesome. Very cool. Well, I have uh, two closure questions for you. And I figure we'll just we, we can we can I love to have you on the show again and talk about uh, more of your work. But my, my two closer questions are if you have any other um, upcoming projects to promote and what are some of your favorite films just in general? Well, I've got a movie called uh, Manson Brothers Midnight Zombie Massacre, which is going to come out later this year. It's, I don't know the date yet, but Randy Couture is in it and uh, directed by Max Martini, who's a good friend of mine, terrific actor. And I'm looking forward to seeing that. It's kind of a comedy spin on the whole zombie genre. And the little bit that I've seen of it, it looks like it's really funny. Written by these funny guys who are former professional wrestlers. So it has uh, a real authenticity to it. And I'm really excited about that one. And then uh, as far as my favorite movies, uh, you know, the movie I've seen the most is Casablanca. And uh, that's kind of an obvious one. I guess a lot of people like that one for good reason. It's the best movie ever made. Uh, I love Bogart. So anything he's in, I I like him. Treasure Sierra Madre, African Queen. Uh, Steve McQueen is one of my favorite actors. So just about anything he's in, especially Bullet, uh, The Sand Pebbles, um, Dirty Dozen. I'm sorry, not Dirty Dozen. uh, Oh, shoot. I'm blanking out. The Great Escape. Great Escape. Yeah, yeah. Jeez, I just <laughs> crossed my wires for a second. Um, but uh, so I love those those two guys are two of my favorite actors. And then of the more modern movies, uh, there's a movie called The Dead Zone with Martin Sheen, which is one of my favorite movies. I think it's the best movie David Cronenberg ever made. Uh, the Thing is a John Carpenter movie, which I love, uh, with Keith David, who's a good friend of mine, Kurt Russell, obviously, and many other great actors are in that but uh keith david's a guy that i did some theater with and so i've always loved seeing him on screen because i think he's a very underrated guy um movies very recently i really enjoyed watching green book uh was written by brian curry and nick valalonga who are two guys who were both in my movie two tickets to paradise and i co-wrote the movie with brian so it was very exciting for me to see all the success those guys had and people that have seen green book and like it and i want to see two tickets to paradise because it's a bit of a uh, you know, it's not exactly, it doesn't deal with uh, race and, and so forth in, in 1962, but it, it does, it's a road trip from the north to the south. So it's a little bit of a study, I think maybe for Green Book uh, in some regards, but, uh, you know, it's just a tremendous movie. And, and uh, I, I can't really, you know, think of a, any other movies that I've, I, I like 1917 a lot this year. And uh, um, I mentioned earlier, Midway was, was very good, I thought. So, uh, but I, you know, movies, unfortunately, are not, not what they used to be. And, and some of that is because, content is morphing into shorter forms the audience has been fractured and atomized so there's no real it's not like if you come out with gone with the wind that everybody's going to line up and see the movie the same friday and saturday night so that that doesn't really exist the way it used to except for marvel movies it seems or star wars movies uh so you know it's the the whole way we receive content has evolved but i think that movies have suffered from it because there's not as much attention on having that collective experience with a story that lasts 90 minutes or two hours we're all in it together. That, that's the part of movies that I think is really exciting and fun. Absolutely. Well, well, DB, thank you so much for taking the time to swim in the bowl with me. Again, I'd love to have you on again anytime, and I hope the temperature was just right. Yeah, the temperature's great. The water's fine. Uh, you know, your filters are working. <laughs> and thanks for sending people over to facebook.com slash mix with no B. And it's only five minutes long. I think people really enjoy it. I know during this quarantine especially, everybody needs a laugh. Absolutely. And, uh, dumb mix will not let you down, I guarantee you. It's five minutes well spent. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right, thanks. Take care, bud. You too. Thank you. Bye. Bye.